0: Colossians chapter 1, (coughs) chapter 1, verse 13. For he, that is God, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he he himself might come to have first place in everything. Now, as we read these verses, consider the fact that we're talking about a man that walked this earth. These are incredible things that Paul's saying here. Uh, Turn to chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. That's you as a Christian, you have been made complete. And he is head over all rule and authority. And then just this little phrase that we've kind of keyed in on uh, for our uh, times here in Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 11, the last little phrase. Christ is all and in all. He's the all-sufficient one for all believers. Everything needed For every Christian in every situation. And the situation we'll be looking at today has to do with the home and the family. This is the fourth message, if I've counted right, from Colossians. Paul wrote this letter to the Christians at Colossa while he was in prison in Rome. This would be around 60 A.D. And it seemed like these Christians were doing quite well, but there were false teachers trying to come in and prevent various, present various heresies that in one way or another denied the gospel of Christ. And uh, it seems that this was mostly being done by what later became uh, a movement called Gnosticism. And that was mixed in with some Jewish rituals and teachings, and it was something that was diverting the, the Christians there at Colossae away from Christ it was enough so that Paul spent really the first half of this letter uh, emphasizing the correct view of of the person and work of Christ of course for Paul the great issue always was that uh, any teaching that didn't present Christ as preeminent in all things or that Christ was not enough for our full salvation any teaching like that was something that Paul would stand against now these Gnostics were saying you needed some great wisdom or philosophy besides Christ. You needed to perform some special religious rituals or acts in addition to trusting Christ. You needed to have some mystical experience or worship some angelic emanations from God. All those things, Paul said, no, you don't need any of that. Christ is all and in all. Christ is enough for every Christian, any time, any place. So... We pointed out that the letter could be divided just roughly into two parts. The first two chapters, which lay out the great doctrinal teachings concerning the preeminence of Christ and his full sufficiency for, for a Christian. The last two chapters, which focus on the practical applications of these truths to the Christian life. And we said for Paul, he always, he always started out with that doctrinal teaching, but he always made a practical application. The learning of doctrine always had to be applied to the living of life. And so that's what he does in the last two chapters. He uses the basic truth of who Christ is and who we are in Christ to exhort Christians how they should live, first of all, in terms of their own personal walk, their relationship with God, their new life in Christ, their identity with Christ. And he does that in, ver- in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And then he shows how they should relate to one another as believers in verses 8 through 17. Sometimes you might just want to try to read it this way. First of all, our personal relationship with Christ. And then 8 through 17, our relationship with other believers. And then how we should relate with one another in the family, in the home. That's verses 18 through 21. And then how masters and slaves should relate to one another. That's chapter 3, 22 through the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. That was a poor, one of those poor chapter divisions that sometimes are made. Um, so three twenty-two through 4, verse 1. And then how Christians should relate to non-Christians, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. So the last time that I spoke, we saw how the preeminence of Christ should be applied to the husband and wife relationship. This morning, I'd like to continue with the teaching related to the family by looking at how Christ being all in all should affect the parent-child relationship. Before I do that, though, I'd like to just make a few general comments concerning the importance of the family. The family is one of the basic building blocks of society. Perhaps the most basic building block, the the family is like the cells of a body. This is what makes up a a society that's working properly, is properly working, running, ordered families. The family structure was ordained by God as a means of helping to maintain a well-ordered society where both husband and wife are lovingly involved in the raising of children. You'll have a much more ordered society if that's taken place place in the family. Husband and wife lovingly involved in raising their children in a a godly manner. It's a historical reality that the breakdown of the family and the erosion of the role of parents means that some other authority will seek to take over the raising of children. Often that's the state. In fact, most tyrannies try to break down the bond between children and parents. Nazi Germany did this with the Hitler Youth. The Soviet Union had the Communist Youth League. And totalitarian systems almost always try to intervene in the parent-child relationship. I want to give just a couple of, of examples of what I'm talking about here from Hitler's Germany and Stalin's Russia. On the surface, it seemed like Hitler seemed to encourage marriage and families, but it was for the pur- purpose of producing more Nazis. Women were to have more children for the fatherland, and their children's education and instruction was to come from Hitler's indoctrination. For instance, let me just quote a speech here that Hitler gave on May 1, 1937. He said the new Reich... His was supposedly the third Reich. Reich means kingdom. The new Reich will give its youth to no one. But will it itself take youth and give to youth its own education and its own upbringing? In other words, we're going to take the children and bring them up in our teachings, in our worldview of Nazism. And that's what they did. Control was taken away from the parents, and only the Nazi worldview was permitted. Let me read just a little bit here from a book called Inside Hitler's Germany. I just want to read a couple quotes here. From the beginning, the Nazis were determined to subvert German youth to their own aims. They made great efforts to incorporate individuals into the Hitler youth. It was through the Hitler Youth that young people learned about Nazism. It was an alternative center of authority to the home. I'm just skipping around here a little bit. By the end of 1933, all other youth groups had been either banned or subsumed under the Hitler Youth. In other words, they just made all other groups illegal, and you had to be part of this group called the Hitler, Hitler Youth. Uh, the Nazis tried to wean young people away from their families with organizations such as the Hitler Youth. Women were needed to make babies, but once they were born, the Nazi state increasingly intruded into the family to take control. This usurped traditional notions that the family was an autonomous unit protecting children from the heavy hand of the state. Like all totalitarian governments, the Nazis resented the independence of the family and the fact that it represented an alternative source of power to the citizens. If necessary, the state would divide families by setting members against each other, Once they were old enough, children were encouraged to inform on on their parents to the Gestapo. So this attitude of the state taking control of your children is something that we need to be constantly on guard of. And this idea of informing on the parents, that was something that happened in uh, Stalinist Russia also. In fact, one of the heroes of the the, the uh, communist movement in Russia was a 14-year-old young boy named Pavlik. For 50 years, they taught in the Soviet schools. They taught about this this young man. And what, what had he done? Well, in their propaganda, in the Soviet propaganda, they, printed the, they presented the story of this young man who told the authorities that his parents were not good communists. He, he, was a, he was one who embraced this young man, embraced communism, but his parents didn't. In fact, in the forced uh, collectivizing of the farms in the Ukraine, which millions of people died when the uh, Russian government did that, this is when this young man was alive, and his parents didn't want to go along with it, and he... In form, he told the authorities, and uh, of course, his parents got in trouble. But according to the propaganda, before when the parents found out that this young man had told on them to the authorities, they killed this boy. Now, that was it, was all a, a myth, but it was the propaganda that was being used to separate the young people. From their parents they had they put up statues of this young man they'd make pilgrimages school children would make pilgrimages to uh, his grave because he was such a martyr to the cause of communism but again it was all a myth to convince children that their parents were bad and that the state was really the child's friend in other words it was to alienate the children from their parents and get them to embrace communism The result was an intense hatred between the generations, where parents and children did not trust one another and the family structure was broken down. By the 1980s, the Soviet Union had the most teenage runaways from home of any nation in the world. And the percentage of single mothers was the highest in the world. I don't know if that's the case anymore. Perhaps the US has surpassed Russia in this sad statistic because of all our misguided family policies. Some Christian writers believe that the authority of the father and mother in in the family situation is is central to a free society and that as our government seeks more power over individuals, it will increasingly try to restrict the influence and authority of the family. Put it simply, as the role of the family in society decreases, the role of the state will increase. I'm just saying all this to say that these are things we have to be cautious of. We have to be on our guard against. The authority of the family and the church are two obstacles that stand in the way of a state system that desires universal obedience. The state that wants to, to be a substitute father and a substitute religion are going to try to downplay, distort, and even destroy those two institutions, the family and the church. So, what we should realize is that under the hand of God, in the providence of God, in the, in the way God set things up, the home is meant to be the most powerful formative influence upon a child the home was and this is constantly being challenged by ungodly government intervention and an anti-family educational system and an entertainment uh, industry and a media that's very anti-family of course behind all of this we believe that the devil hates The church and the devil hates Christian marriages and Christian families. Really, the the family is like a little church. So it's no wonder if he hates the church, he's going to hate the families, godly families. He hates, Satan hates the family and targets it for a special attack. With that said... I want to look at the parent child relationship, beginning as Paul does with the child. So let's turn to Colossians. We'll read this section that deals with the family. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. We'll We'll stop there this morning, even though it goes on with some instructions to the fathers. The first thing I would say about this is that we need to realize that Paul, in this letter, addresses the children directly. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Paul assumes that when his letter is read to the church there in Colossae, that children would be present there to hear it. So he writes, he, he specifically writes to them and addresses this little section, to them. Children, obey your parents. Children, if you want to please God, you should obey your parents in all things. That's, it. that's the message you wanted to get across to the children in that congregation. And that's still the message for us here today. If you want to please God, you should obey your parents in all things. We know that Paul is not talking about obedience in sinful things. You know that uh, your mind it starts thinking, "Well, I, you know, I should, uh, should I be obeying in sinful things?" Well, of course not. But that's not what Paul's dealing with here. What he's saying is that children, you cannot pick the things you like and obey those things. Obey your parents in all things, for this is right and is well pleasing. Now, Paul expands on this in Ephesians, so let's turn back. And, and, children, I hope you'll look at these verses as we read them today, because these are verses for you. This is God's Word directly for you. Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 1, again, Paul does the same thing. He addresses the children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So here he gives some additional reasons. First of all, in in Colossians, he said this is well-pleasing to the Lord if you obey your parents. Now he gives us three, gives the children three additional reasons for obeying their parents. And I just want to look at those with you this morning. The first, he says, what's the first reason? It's right. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Obey your parents because it's right. The second thing is that it's a clear commandment from God. And he quotes the commandment. And the third thing is that God has given a promise to this commandment. There's a promise attached to this commandment. So let's look at these. First of all, it's right. Children, obey your parents because it's right. I believe that what Paul's saying here is that he's written that on your heart. As a child, especially in a Christian home, he's written that on your heart, especially if you're a Christian. He writes that on your heart. It's the right thing to do. Now, it may not always feel like that's what you want to do. You may not always want to obey, but your conscience tells you it's right to obey your parents. In fact, one of the marks of humanity's suppressing the light of conscience is being disobedient to parents. If you want to look at that sometime, go back to Romans 1, the first chapter, And and Paul talks about suppressing the truth, and then he talks about what happens, what types of things that are suppressed. And one of those things are obedience to parents. People suppress that and won't do it. But it's written on the heart, you see. Deep down, children know that their parents are the ones that brought them into existence under God and have provided for them and are in a special position of authority over them. So Paul could appeal to that natural sense of rightness and justice in telling children, Obey your parents, for it's right, and you know it's right. Beyond this inward sense of rightness, Paul refers to the special revelation given to the nation of Israel in the law. Specifically, the Ten Commandments. So, children, let's look at this one. Turn back to Exodus. Second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Exodus 20. We're going to look at a lot of verses today about children obeying their parents. Now, this is in God's law. It's a commandment, but it's a special section of God's law called the Ten Commandments. And in those Ten Commandments, the first four laws dealt with a person's relationship with God. And the last six dealt with relationship with other people. So, first of all, our relationship with God, that's always got to come first, but then relationship to other people. Well, of those last six commandments which deal with relationships to other people the first thing the first thing god wants you to understand about our relationships with other people is this in verse 12 so exodus 12 i mean exodus 20 verse 12 honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the lord god gives you so he says when you go into canaan when you take over this land the first thing you need to realize as far as relationships with other people is you need to honor your father and mother. Now, honor is a much broader and deeper concept than just bare obedience. And I want you to think about this, children. This, this commandment says honor. It doesn't just say obey. It says honor. What's that mean? It means to respect, revere, even reverence, at least in the sense of the position that they're in, and hold in high esteem your parents. Hold in high esteem, respect, revere your father and mother. And I say this is a deeper thing because honor has to do with an inward attitude, not just outward conduct children did you you probably realize that you can obey without honoring for instance if you give grudging obedient obedience to your parents even while you say yes You're rolling your eyes and inwardly saying, Man, give me a break. That's a disrespectful obedience. And that comes across that the fact it's a half hearted type thing, and it really doesn't please God or man or your parents. Now let me kind of expand on that. We're talking about honor being more than just bare obedience. We need to be aware of the following thoughts and attitudes. First of all, I know better than my parents. They're so dumb and dense. I hope you don't think that way, but There were times when I was a little guy, I can remember thinking along those lines. Why in the world would dad have me do that? Let's turn to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline, and that that can be uh, translated instruction, whoever loves discipline or instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Now, sometimes we think the reproof that we're given is stupid, but the Bible says if you hate reproof you're stupid so you have to be careful about this thing of taking pride in your own ideas and your own knowledge especially as a young person but we have to be careful about that all the time turn over to Proverbs 26.12 this isn't just written for, for young people for children but it, it applies in this area we're looking at here the idea of i don't really need any teaching you know i know better 26:12 do you see a man wise in his own eyes there's more hope for a fool than for him so be careful about this thing of being wise in your own eyes especially as a child another attitude to beware of is just that my parents' experiences in life are not really relevant or helpful to me today. They're so old and so old-fashioned. They're just not up with the times, you know. Let's turn to Proverbs 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 4. Proverbs 4. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Now, why did I read that verse? Because Solomon here is saying, I'm teaching you things that were taught to me. And this is what what families are supposed to do. They're supposed to teach God's wisdom down through the generations. It's true that you may know more about how to do something with a computer than your mom and dad. But that's not the kind of thing he's talking about here. He's talking about moral principles and wisdom in terms of how to live your life properly. And God will instruct you in those things as you listen to your parents. You might be able to teach them something about the computer, but in these type of things, as you're growing up, the type of things that that, uh, Solomon's talking about here, this instruction, these these words that he wants you to hold fast in your heart... And these commandments, these things are something that are to be passed down from generation to generation in families, God's truth. So be careful about that idea of my parents' experience in life are not really relevant because what God is trying to teach you through those things are truths that transcend just the present day. They go far beyond that. Another thing that you need to be careful of is just this attitude, I despise or reject their discipline and correction. That's a very dangerous position to be in. Look at Proverbs 15. Verse 5. It says, A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is prudent. If you want to be prudent, if you want to be wise, regard those reproofs, those corrections, those instructions that you get from your parents. And then turn turn over to verse 32. He who neglects discipline despises himself. You're just going to hurt yourself. You're just hurting yourself if you won't listen to what your mom and dad tell you. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof requ- uh, acquires understanding. So if you want to you know, get understanding in the proper way to live, listen to what mom and dad have to tell you. Another attitude to, be, to beware of is just this thing, I can do better if they just leave me alone. I do fine. Without them, I just want to get out of here, do my own thing. Let's turn to Proverbs 29:15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. If you take the attitude, I just want to get my own way, it's not going to go well with you. And you'll bring shame. Also, you need to beware of trying to play one parent against the other. You know, you kind of learn what mom goes for and dad goes for and what you can get away with here and there and with one and the other. And you play, you play them against each other. Dad said, yeah, but, well, mom told me this. See, the commandment we're looking at here says honor both your father and your mother, not one at a time. You just show equal respect for both parents. It doesn't say honor your father or your mother. Now, just a little side note for the parents here. You ought to not debate and discuss how to handle situations before your children. You ought to be doing that in private, get your act together so that when you present something, it's a unified presentation. Well, one last thing here, and this kind of relates to what I shared about Hitler's Germany and Stalin's Russia, but I I just apply it to you children. Beware of any group or any individual that seeks to influence you to not honor your father and mother. Beware of any person or any group or wherever it comes from that attitude of I really don't need to honor my father and mother. Parents are not perfect. They make mistakes. But God has given them to you as a child to help you make wise decisions in life. And if you'll honor them, if if you'll do what the Bible says, it's pleasing to the Lord. So this command to honor and obey is something that's emphasized throughout the Bible over and over again. This is not something we should be uh, concerned or wonder if this is what the Bible really teaches. It teaches it all over the place. Um, Let me just read a few more verses. Leviticus 19, 2 and 3. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father. Right after talking about being holy, because God's holy, he says, Every one of you. And I think this is amazing. He says, "Shall reverence," and then he actually has a father and mother uh, in a reverse order from what it's usually given. He says, "Shall reverence his mother and his father equally." Deuteronomy 5:16. Now, Deuteronomy, when you see that name for the book, that just means the second law. This is a re-giving of the law that was given back in in uh, Exodus. So Deuteronomy 5.16 says, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that, the day, that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. And I guess we have already established that this thing of honoring parents is one of the main themes of the book of Proverbs. We looked at a number of them. but Let's just look at some more turn to Proverbs again Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8 hear my son your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching indeed they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck um Chapter 6, verse 20. My son, observe the commandments of your father and do not forsake the teachings of your mother. Bind them continually in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life verse or chapter 13 verse 1 and I'm actually I'm not even giving you half of them there's so many of these chapter 13 verse 1 A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Chapter 23, verse 22 through 26. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. And then lastly, chapter 30, verse 17. It's kind of a fearful one here, but it's one of the warnings related to what we're talking about here. The eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pluck it out, and the young eagles will eat it. I don't think that means that that's literally going to happen. It's just just saying just the opposite. If you honor your father and mother, it will go well with you. If you don't, it won't go well with you. Now, when we talk about children, of course, I'm thinking mainly of those that are still in the home, under the authority of the parents, in that type of situation. But this commandment to honor your father and mother applies even when you're older. We may be out on our own and not under their authority anymore, but we still need to show honor and respect. In fact, Jesus uses this commandment from from the Old Testament about honoring the parents to rebuke the Pharisees and the Sadducees that had a sinful attitude when they would not financially take care of their aged parents. He said, you found a sneaky way to put your money aside to keep it for yourself and not take care of your parents. And that is not, he says, that's not honoring your father and mother. He's talking to older people, you see. Scribes and Pharisees when he says that. That's Matthew 15, 1 through 6. We won't look it up. But let's do turn to First Timothy 5. First Timothy 5. Paul is speaking into a situation here where there are some widows women that have lost their husbands and the church was wanting to do right by these widows. So, in verse 3, 1 Timothy 5, 3, Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn pra- to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents For this is acceptable in the sight of God. What's he saying? He's saying, if this widow has children or even grandchildren, they should be looking out for that aged widow, that parent. They should be honoring their father and mother, in this case their mother. Shouldn't be the church's responsibility first. It's part of honoring your parents. If you skip down to verse 8... He says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, specifically he's talking about this widow situation, and especially for those of his own household, he's denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. If you won't take care of your parents when they're older, you've you denied the faith, he says. Obviously, you've gone against the commandment, honor your father and mother. So this thing doesn't just apply to what we would consider uh, uh, children in the home. It applies throughout our lives as long as we have parents that are alive. Honor your father and mother. As mentioned earlier, it's the first commandment with a promise. Paul takes this promise, which was given to the Hebrews as they entered into the land of Canaan, and he applies it universally. See, that was a specific thing for the Hebrews as they were going into the promised land. But Paul doesn't quote it that way. This is an amazing thing. He takes that commandment about honoring your father and mother, and he uses it in a general way, not just for the Hebrews going into Canaan. Let's, let's turn to Ephesians again. Chapter 6. Look what he does with this commandment. Chapter 6, verse 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise. And here's the promise. That it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. That's not the way it was written in the Old Testament. That it may be well with you and you may live long in the land which the Lord God gives you. This is a, I think this is an amazing thing. He takes this promise and generalizes it as a promise to all obedient children, especially Christian children. This is really an example of how the gospel writers, the New Testament writers, and especially Christ himself, reinterprets the Old Testament law. You see this type of thing happening often in the New Testament. They take a truth that was specific to the Hebrews and apply it in a general way uh, to to Christians. So we have a promise here, a wonderful promise. If we'll honor our father and mother, it will go well with us. We live long on the earth. Well, you might be thinking that this does not always happen. Sometimes obedient children die young and disobedient children live a long time. What's the answer to that? Well, I think the scripture here is presenting a general principle that where children are allowed to be disobedient, where they are undisciplined, it will eventually spell ruin to that nation, that church, or that society. And in general, It will not go well with that individual child. It's just a general principle where there's disobedience and undisciplined children. It's not going to go well. Here's how William Hendrickson said this in his commentary. When the objection is raised that in spite of this promise many disobedient children prosper and become very old, while many obedient children die early the answer is that the principle here expressed is nevertheless entirely valid to be sure obedience or disobedience to parents is not the only factor that determines a person's span of life but it is a very important factor disobedience to godly parents indicates an undisciplined life it leads to vice and dissipation this in turn All other things being equal shortens life. For example, when a devout father warns his son against the evils of chain smoking or addiction to alcohol or sins pertaining to sex or running around with the wrong crowd, if a a child disobeys that, if the son disregards this advice, he is following a course that does not, as a rule, lead to a long life on earth. It does not, as a rule, lead to life going well for that person. I mean, we heard a little example of that already this morning from faith. Plus, you can say this, that ultimately it will not go well for the disobedient child when they stand before God on judgment day you can say that for sure absolutely it's not going to go well they're not going to live long in the new heaven and new earth they won't even be there if that's the tenor the overall position of their life so I say all that children to say this honor respect respect and obey your parents it's right it's a command from god it will go well with you if you do and most of all it's well pleasing to the lord if it's you know for a child well, what's the will of god what's god's will for me i can tell you in just a very few words honor your father and mother It will go well with you. Okay, one last proverb and I'm done. Back to Proverbs chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. My son, do not reject, this is for all children here, not just sons. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, as, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Solomon's making a comparison here between the way God deals with his children and the way a father and mother should deal with their children. Because God loves his children, he corrects them. Because he loves, he corrects. Because he cares, he corrects. Now think about that. That's the way God treats his children. Because he cares, he corrects. And so it is with godly parents. I'll just say this to the children here today, here in church with, with a parent or parents... your father and mother care about you. That's why they correct you. If they didn't correct you, that would show they didn't care. And that's really a bad thing. That's a terrible thing. To have parents that don't care for you. That When they, when they correct you, I know it sometimes isn't pleasant, but you need to remember that's because they care for me. They want it to go well for me. The instruction they give is given to save you from heartache and harm and sin. Their discipline and correction comes from love. It comes from a desire for your welfare. God has given you to them for your good. Learn from them, honor them, and it will go well with you. And more than that, it'll be you will be well pleasing to the Lord. And they're gonna make some mistakes. Your parents will make mistakes. But I'll tell you this: it's a far greater mistake not to listen to them and honor them. You'll be making a far greater mistake. So we'll stop there. I'll just say this. Next week, we'll look at some of the mistakes that parents make. So stay tuned, children.